come to kindergarten class. The Developmentally Appropriate Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy. And today we have an interview that I'm really, really excited about. It's with Dr. Christopher P. Brown of the University of Texas at Austin. And he is a professor of curriculum and instruction in early childhood education there. And he's recently been doing some research about what kindergarten stakeholders want in kindergarten education. And he's found that most stakeholders are uncomfortable with how kindergarten has been changing, but they don't want to go back to just the kindergarten of yesterday when it was just an introduction to how school works. He's found that stakeholders want kindergarten to offer broad instructional opportunities that support children's academic development while still fostering their physical, social, and emotional skills. Which sounds like what we want, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly what we want. (laughs) We we could just be right in there with his study and say the same thing. It's exactly my definition of a perfect (laughs) kindergarten classroom. (laughs) A developmentally appropriate, academically rigorous room. Yes, that's exactly what we want. Okay. I think you'll be really excited. He shares some good information with us. And on on the website, I'm going to put some links to a few articles that he's written one of which we actually shared on Facebook a while back. And I'm going to share a link to a a book that he mentions in his interview that he said wasn't out yet, but it's out now. And it's called Rigorous DAP in the Early Years from Theory to Practice. That sounds great. I think that there, I think the definition of rigor in the classroom is a little bit muddy. Yeah. So you you define rigor. Yeah, I've noticed people, people <laughs> say throw things are rigorous and they're not. So <laughs> I'm hoping his book will clear some mud. Well, if, <laughs> if we can get anyone to define kindergarten rigor in a way that is accurate, it would be a, a professor of early childhood education. Yes, That's it would. That's who I would trust to define That's rigor for my exactly profession. That's exactly who I would trust. <laughs> All right, let's listen. Okay. My name is Dr. Christopher P. Brown because there's a lot of different Christopher Brown for <laughs> say the least. Um, but I'm a professor of early child education in the Department of Curriculum Instruction at the University of Texas at Austin. And I hold the Maxine Foreman Zaro Endowed Faculty Fellowship in Education. So that's why. Wonderful. And I found you because you've been you wrote an article about play in kindergarten that I just loved. Okay. <laughs> I really did. So I was. Uh, I wanted to talk to you more about that because that's one of the reasons why I started doing this podcast was I wanted to get this concept out there in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about uh, what, why play is so important to kindergarten? So let me frame that that piece that you read. So my interest recently has been in how kindergarten has changed. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of empirical research showing that teachers are spending more time on academic instruction and less emphasis on what we consider traditional developmentally appropriate practices Mm -hmm. and plays one of those things. Um, But I worry in my work, my worry is that these conversations are happening from a research perspective, but we really aren't talking to other stakeholders who are invested in kindergarten. So that's the work I've been doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But out of that research, uh, I I wrote that editorial just talking about making people aware of how kindergarten has changed. We can say it's more academic, 
But I don't think people understand that means that there's really a lot less of what we consider traditional kindergarten practices taking place in that environment. Um, and, in, and play is one of those things. And play can occur in many different ways. There can be free play where kids are just doing what they want across the day. There can be guided play where teachers are facilitating the play around a topic of interest or maybe a, a curriculum unit they want to study. There's also what we consider just traditional recess in school. And the school that I was working in, kids only had 15 minutes of recess a day. Um, and that was usually at the very end of the day after they'd spent most of the day in academic activities. So there was a big concern around that. And it's not just the school I'm researching, but I also, um, part of my role at the University of Texas is being a teacher educator, meaning we work with students who are undergraduates learning to be teachers. And they've commented for years now to us within our program how they're noticing in schools, be it a pre-K classroom, which typically serves four-year-olds, kindergarten, um, which serves five-year-olds, that there very, is very little play they're seeing across the day. Um, students are engaged in more teacher-directed, meaning the teachers guiding the activity, uh, academic instruction around literacy and math. Um, so, so play is one of those places. It does a lot of different things for little kids. Um, in terms of free play, it gives them an opportunity to develop their own social skills with others, as well as for them to process the world that they're learning about across the day. Um, so it gives them that chance to, to internalize these big ideas um, that they're being taught about, as well as experiencing through their interactions with teachers and children. Um, Vygotsky, you know, a theorist that lived while, a while ago, but he talks about how important those moments are for kids to make the knowledge that they're participating in a part of who they are as learners. Um, but there's other activities teachers can do as well in terms of guided play, and, and that means you know purposefully setting up the environment where kids have an opportunity to to interact with each other around a specific idea or theme. And there's a lot of research showing those type of guided play activities. Um, they help kids in terms of internalizing understanding the math. Um, Kathy Hirsch Pyek or Pysek, I can never say her last name. Right, Paul, <laughs> has done a lot of research around that. Um, Martha Buell's done some research around literacy and play and how giving kids that opportunity after they're being taught concepts around literacy like expressive vocabulary, having those moments to then engage in activities that allow them to internalize and play around with them, they usually become much more uh, knowledgeable and have a larger, more expressive vocabulary from those types of experiences versus kids who don't have that chance to play. Um, so there's a lot of benefits there. Then in, in terms of recess, I mean, you have the American Pediatric Association saying we have to have recess in school, um, and yet schools are continually pulling that out. And I think a lot of school people that I talk to feel like physical education is just as equal substitute for play, mm -hmm. and it's really not. Uh, PE is designed to teach kids activities to help develop their fine motor or large motor skills, and that's not what recess is. Recess is a time for kids just to do what they want to do. There's no adult interaction or adult, well, there could be adult interaction, excuse me, but no adult direction. It's a chance for kids to just, you know, take on their own ideas, their own thoughts, interact with others. And those moments have been shown to be influential in teaching kids how to develop social skills. Um, and kids who have recess have also been shown to have behave more appropriately in the classroom after recess and also being more willing to take on new learning experiences and engage in those processes. We, we feel we see that kindergarten is becoming more academic, but I feel mm -hmm. like we're actually losing a lot of developmental pieces that kindergartners need as we push for it to be more academic. Can you can you speak to what we're losing 
if the classroom becomes too much like an older grade classroom and loses out on these playful opportunities? Sure. Well, I think my biggest concern, and, and this isn't necessarily academic, um, my biggest concern is that we're, we're creating an environment where kids don't want to be. <laughs> and they don't see learning and they don't see learning as something that they can do on their own. They see learning as this activity where they're told what to do and then to regurgitate what they're told in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And that scares me mm-hmm. because the whole idea behind kindergarten is to get children excited about the learning processes as well as to help them see themselves as learners. If we fail to do that, I don't know how kids are going to be able to manage or succeed in school later on. Mm-hmm. And so that's my big worry. I'm not saying kids shouldn't learn academic skills. I'm saying we need to think about the processes by which we're delivering these skills to them, as well as the opportunities we're giving them to engage with and internalize these ideas. Mm -hmm. So the work I did, most of the kids were sitting in a large group circle where the teacher was working through specific activities that were designed to teach them specific skills that they were going to be tested on. Um, and that's a common practice we see in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and third grade, at least in our environment where we work. And, and the worry is, is that there's no opportunities for kids to be curious about the learning process or have the opportunity where they can take on the role of as a, as a learner and pursue something that they're interested in. Mm-hmm. And it's in those moments, if we give kids that opportunity, a skillful teacher can find avenues for instruction that will will give them opportunities to build their reading skills, their math skills, as well as their social interaction skills, which are so important in school learning. Can you describe for me what your ideal kindergarten would look like? Oh, I hate that question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, or no, just give us a description of what it looks like when we're being appropriate. So the reason I hate that question is because I think the learning community that you're trying to create in kindergarten is so dependent on who the children are and mm-hmm. the families are. And so you have to know who your kids are, what they bring, what's valued um, in terms of families, both culturally as well as academically, because it's going to vary from community to community. Mm-hmm. Moreover, at least in our environment, you're going to have children that have multiple languages that are spoken at home. Um, and they're also going to have multiple experiences outside of school or in preschool before they come into, say, the kindergarten classroom. So an ideal environment in that way is really much more complex than one standard. So as a teacher, if you're thinking about building a classroom environment that's supportive, and we talk about this a lot in in the work we do with our our pre-service teachers, is one, you have to know what the expectations are of you as the teacher from the school, the district, uh, in some sense, knowing where you need to go in your instruction. And then two, You know, it's thinking back to the work of people like John Dewey, it's knowing who the kids are, what they bring and what experiences they have, and then trying to set up an environment that takes those two things into account and then thinks about learning as a process where those kids' experiences are so important, but also the content knowledge that you need to teach as an educator. So you're going to have a range of different types of learning experiences depending on the content you want to teach or have kids experience within that environment. So there's going to be a range of what we consider traditional practices happening across the day. There's going to be moments where there is large group instruction because some things kids do need to be taught directly. There's going to be moments across the day where there's small group instruction where teachers are working with kids that have similar skills or knowledge or background to help them learn different 
academic content across the day. But then there's also going to be opportunities for, you know, free choice and voice within the day, um, be it just free play where there's different centers kids get to choose what they want to do. Or there's also maybe um, one thing we advocate for here, and, and one of my colleagues, Jennifer Adair, really talks about this a lot, is giving kids, you know, the opportunity to engage in the project approach where they're pursuing areas of inquiry that they generate a question around themselves and the teacher is helping facilitate that learning. Um, but in, in all that, you're having chances for large motor development, spine motor development. You're giving kids chance to interact with each other and talk with each other. Um, you're giving kids opportunities for them to also, uh, you know, pursue things on their own. Um, they may need times to you know, work independently. Um, but as a teacher, you're just it's so hard to say this is what has to happen every day. Mm -hmm. It's more of knowing where you need to go, thinking about what your kids are doing, documenting that learning so you have a good idea of what's happening, what's working, what's not working, so you can plan for the next day. Um, and, and it's all happening in an environment where kids want to be with each other, support each other, and be with you as the educator. Uh, I think some of the best descriptions I have of, of, of a, a great kindergarten classroom is controlled chaos. Um, <laughs> it's just a lot happening at once. And if you don't know that chaos, you're going to think of nothing happening at all. Mm -hmm. um, but as a teacher, it's kids need to be able to interact with each other and with and with adults. And that requires them to talk a lot, mm -hmm. helps them process what's happening. It also helps them develop the vocabulary and language that we find so important in kindergarten. So when you walk into a kindergarten classroom where there is no activity, where there's no discussions, I think kids are missing a lot of opportunities to develop the skills that we really want them to have. Mm -hmm. I just had an evaluation, and one of my notes from my administrator on my evaluation was, your class is really noisy. Do you have any <laughs> guidelines for the noise? And I wrote him back, and I said, well, Vygotsky says that kids need to talk, so I let him talk. <laughs> <laughs> and he was okay with that, so I was grateful. <laughs> That's good. And, you know, administrators who do understand early child education, the ones that I know, usually typically try to keep the kindergartners in their own area, um, <laughs> away from the, you know, the older grades where there's a lot more independent, silent work, because they know kids do need to be loud. They need to move, too. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure what grade you teach, but... You I, know, I teach kindergarten. Okay, yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. I teach sixth um, grade. They're really noisy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But it's, yeah, I, I think we have to recognize kids need to move. They are full of energy and that's what they should be. It's not, we shouldn't change that. Um, but it's teaching them how to take control of that and guide that energy into activities that will help them uh, develop the skills and knowledge we want them to attain. Yeah. I, I took a bunch of training over the summer about uh, engineering and STEM and integrated oh. learning. And, yeah. and as I was taking this workshop, I thought this is a great window or this is a great in for me to include more developmentally appropriate because all of the engineering tasks and STEM tasks and integrated tasks, it all went right along with what I've learned about appropriate education for kindergartners. Do you think this movement is, is a good opportunity for us as early childhood educators to bring in more of what we know is good practice? It <laughs> We, I've, I've had this conversation with some of my graduate Have you? students. There's, yes, uh, because there's also you know the STEAM movement where we add arts in that. And <laughs> as one of my students said, that's just kindergarten. Uh -huh. so it's, just <laughs> so it, it's one of those veiled conversations around. Well, yeah, this is what should be happening. Mm -hmm. um, you know, giving kids 
questions worth investigating and giving them the space and time to actually start to problem solve. And that's what a good kindergarten classroom does. Um, so yes, STEM is a nice avenue for that. I think the project approach, which you know Lily and Katz wrote about and others, um, some of my colleagues, as I said before, is another way to get at those situations. I think one thing kindergarten teachers aren't always the best at doing is explaining that controlled chaos, explaining mm -hmm. why these activities are important in terms of children's learning. And I think also knowing that there is research to support what they're saying. Um, and, and I think STEM might be one of those avenues where we can say there's this, this vocabulary, there's this practice, there's this discourse that says we need to be doing these things with young kids. And so we're going to pursue that avenue. I think science, I mean, science is a great avenue for kids to learn about the world and learn all sorts of academic skills because that's what their questions are really all about is how does everything work mm -hmm. and, and and stem is one of those vehicles that gives you a framing say well we're going to take this from a stem perspective and look at how these different things work in different ways mm -hmm. but if I, I don't know if you're a parent but i know you're a kindergarten teacher and kids have all sorts of questions about how things work and mm -hmm. why is it this way um, there's also you know more social and cultural questions too um, like, why did people name things this and stuff mm -hmm. like that? Look yeah. into as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's, it's interesting how STEM has become the thing. Um, but in many ways, most people I know who know early childhood, it's like, yeah, it's good practice. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's what we're doing. <laughs> can you sure, talk we'll about STEM, whatever we can do to do it? <laughs> yeah, whatever we got. But could you talk more about that? What we as uh, kindergarten teachers, what kind of language and vocabulary we need and what the research is we need to defend what we're doing or to explain what we're doing? Because I think you're right. I don't know if we always have the vocabulary for that. Well, I, I think one thing is, and this is where you asked me at the beginning of the conversation, is being able to explain what play is. Mm -hmm. For some reason in our culture, uh, we see, and I say in culture, by that I mean the U.S. academic culture, um, we see play as something other than learning, which is if you know anything about play, that's a little bit mind boggling um, because play is all about, you know, making sense of the world for children in many different ways. Um, so I think being able to explain that, just even making that connection for adults um, to what kids are doing, I think, is one first step. Um, and, and, and in saying being, be able, being better able to explain what, you know, why all these things are important, I, I do want to say I recognize and the teachers that I've worked with, the teachers that I observed, the teachers that I've researched, they're under a lot of pressure. And there's a lot of demand for them to doing many different things across the day. And sometimes they're so worn down that they just choose what's easiest to make sure that they can get it done so they don't get in trouble. Um, because in some school communities, you know, teachers are easily replaced, which is scary um, because we know good teaching takes time to learn how to do. And once teachers have that knowledge, what they can do with kids is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes that, that I, that's part of this conversation that I think I haven't brought in. But in terms of the vocabulary and the language we need to use, I think we just need to think about what are the bridges between what we're being told to teach and what we know good practices and how can we merge that vocabulary in a way that gives administrators, family members and others uh, the comfort to know that their children are learning in that classroom. So talking about how social interactions occur and play with kids and how they're learning how to self-regulate, how they're learning to deal with um, different types of behaviors that we don't always get the chance to do when we're sitting and focused on academic learning, like self-control, like motivation, things of that nature. 
And then talking about how doing simple things like acting out a story in the classroom gives ch children that opportunity to internalize these big ideas, not only around vocabulary, but also the process of storytelling, which is so important in understanding how stories work to make sense of how, what the story is being told. Um, in terms of mathematics, giving parents the comfort and showing that how we doing different types of sorting or play activities give children the knowledge um, of things such as order or directional words or words that describe, you know, mathematical concepts like groups or, you know, summing things together or using directional vocabulary like with block building, what goes under, what goes over, or estimating how many blocks we need to do to do certain activities. Um, so it's just finding that space within the practices that you're doing to insert a vocabulary that families and administrators want to hear, I think would be really helpful. Okay. And I'm, I'm curious too, because as a kindergarten teacher in an elementary school, I feel like I get a lot of professional development and professional training um, from an elementary perspective, of but I, I never get any professional development from an early childhood perspective. And as a teacher, I would really like to strengthen that aspect of my teaching. So I'm curious if you have any resources or suggestions for teachers of ways we can uh, inform and improve our practice that way. Because I know for, in my own personal experience, I don't get a lot of support in that. And it has to come from myself. <laughs> as a former kindergarten teacher, I understand your pain. <laughs> um, I sat through many uh, professional development sequence on how to make sure kids are writing the correct summative sentence of a paragraph. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so, uh, like, oh, this is really useful to me. Thanks, yeah, everybody. Exactly. Um, I don't know if you're a member of the National Association for the Education of Young Children. Um, their most recent edition of the uh, Young Children, um, their, their magazine's all about kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So it's a really interesting issue that has some things there. Um, different state affiliated NACI organizations do a lot of different things around early child education. Um, larger school districts sometimes have early childhood professional people that you may be able to bring into your district. I don't know exactly where you live, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but th those types of resources sometimes are available. Um, I think it's hard because, at least in my experiences here in Texas, those preschool teachers who come into our program talk about their own difficulty finding effective professional development in early child education. And I think there is something to be said that that's an area I think we do really need to look at more in terms of what type of professional development can we provide that is early childhood based. Um, a lot of the PD that I see here in Texas is much more focused on developing certain academic skills and it's not always in a developmentally appropriate way. Um, it's much more teacher-directed or, um, you know, specific types of instructional methods that don't always reflect the communities that we're working in. Yeah. Um, so the NACI, it was great to see they have an issue on kindergarten out now. Um, and there's other teachers I've seen. Sometimes I just blog, see what blogs are out there, and teachers are talking about what they're struggling with in terms of their practice. Um, I'm trying to think what else, what I've been reading lately that might be helpful. There's not a – there's – there's work by people like Mary Lou Heisen who talk about good practice with young kids. Um, you know, Deb Stipek has some stuff. Uh, and so those are things to think about too. That's something that I've been in my own work trying to think about how can we do a better job of making these practices available. Yeah. Well, if you come up with any good ideas, let me know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will let you know. Um, I, 
we actually do have a book coming out this summer. Hopefully, I'm having some issues with my editor. Um, we we wrote about a piece in Young Children a couple years ago, what we called Rigorous DAP, and we tried to expand that into a book. And we designed it for the class I teach to my undergrads here, but it has some ideas in terms of vocabulary um, in talking about you know the rigor of the work of appropriate practices for young kids. Mm-hmm. So when, if that comes out, I'll let you know. Let me know. <laughs> I'd love to read it. <laughs> well, I, I know I've kind of been all over the place with questions, but you just make me think of things. So did no, is I'm there... glad. <laughs> yeah, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about? Um. I just want to emphasize the point I, in, in, in creating a kindergarten environment with kids. I think we do have to make sure we're incorporating the values, desires, and wants of the families we work with. I sometimes worry, and this is something I worry about my own practice, is that if I'm doing all this talking or advocating for these different things, I might be ignoring other important voices that need to be a part of the conversation um, there's a lot of research by other people, like one of my, my you know, Joe Tobin and my colleague Jennifer Dare have done some research with immigrant communities um, and, and looking at what families want from schooling. And, and a lot of families do want more. They want to make sure their kids are learning the academic skills they need to succeed in school. So when we say we want more play or we want more developmentally appropriate practice, I think we have to recognize that doesn't mean getting rid of the academics. Right. Um, uh, and so that we want to make sure that our kids leave kindergarten with the skills, the knowledge, the temperament, and the belief in themselves that they can be successful in the later grades. I, I, I worry sometimes when people use the word developmentally appropriate or they use play, they feel like they don't have to teach or they don't have to give kids certain skills and knowledge. And I think I, my worry is that then we're doing a disservice for kids and their mm-hmm. family. Yeah. Well, and from my own personal experience, every lesson I've planned this year that has been truly a playful inquiry, mm-hmm. student-led lesson, those they've learned more. They've always yeah. learned more. <laughs> well, they think about it. They're invested. Uh-huh. It's, <laughs> they care. <laughs> As a student, when you care about the topic, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's one of those things. I think that, and I think that's, you know, that's part of the conversation having with other adults is, Think about yourself as a learner. If you want to be there, if you want to be a part of this process, if you're willing to take risk and you're willing to fail, you learn a lot more mm-hmm. than being simply told what to do. And I think as yeah. teachers, I think, you know, always give me an example, you know what good professional development's like, and you know what bad professional <laughs> development's like. And teachers are the worst audience when there's bad professional uh, development. Uh-huh. <laughs> <So>. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's and what you, you have in kindergarten too. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned failure, and I've watched my own kindergartners that in a tradition, in a more traditional academic lesson, they're so scared of the possibility of failure; it terrifies mm. them. But I can put the same lesson in a more playful setting, and, and they're fine. Failure's right. not scary if you've got that play-based support. It's not a frightening thing to them anymore. Yeah, and, and it's not adult-led so much. They, yeah. They're they have friends. They're there in a nurturing environment. And so it makes it a little easier to tolerate. Yeah. But failure is important. It's, you know, it's one of those things we all have to learn to get through. Yeah. And learn (laughs) from. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's really been an interesting discussion and and, uh, given me some good ideas to go run with in my own classroom. So thank you. Oh, I'm happy to help. It was a nice conversation. Yeah. 
We want to thank Dr. Brown for being on the podcast and for having this great conversation. It was wonderful to talk to you and I learned a lot and I am going out to get his book because I want to be better. (laughs) (laughs) We all do. I know. So you have some exciting things coming up, right, Mom? Well, this summer I'm going to be presenting at the ITHK conference in July. So I hope you all come and meet me if you're there. Are you going to have your microphone out in front of you? Are you going to record this? Of course. We're going to figure out how to do some kind of podcasting from (laughs) Las Vegas. (laughs) Live from the ITHK conference. (laughs) We should have like a secret signal. Like if you listen to the podcast... Come up to mom and say, the skies are blue. And she'll say, but only in the summer. Well, I'm <laughs> certainly going to give a lot of products away to, to podcast listeners. Oh, so, come up and say, you listened, you heard of this on the podcast. And she'll yeah, give you I, already, I already am making some um, Dropbox secret drop boxes that I can give them a secret code to at the conference. Ooh. But Have only you, podcast you... listeners will know <laughs> to come and ask me. <laughs> so you do have a secret code ready. I do have awesome. a secret code. <laughs> well, not ready. In my brain. In your brain. You uh, have a secret code yeah. in your brain. I have a yeah. lot of things in my brain. <laughs> so if you are coming to the ITHK conference, make sure to come by and say hello. Okay. I won't be there, though. <laughs> I wish you'd come. I wish I would come, too. <laughs> next time hey and everyone remember that the esgi promotion you still have time for that and sign up for your free try 60-day trial and use the product code b7227 or my brand new yeah i thought you had a new code is kiosk (laughs) i know but i love b7227 it makes me feel like an airplane (laughs) the new code though it's the new code is kiosk The new code is kiosk. And if you sign up for that free trial, you are entered automatically to win a free all-expense-paid trip to a national conference. So um, Las Vegas, the ITHK, can be one of your choices. Hey, and current ESGI subscribers, you also can be entered to win if you go to esgisoftware.com slash blog slash and use the hashtag ESGI Spring Fling and share that link on your social media. You will also be entered to win. Lindsay will put all of that um, just as yes. an easy link on our podcast page. We'll put it page. on the website page, podcast page. So look for that. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Kindergarten Kiosk is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, a network of podcasts for educators, by educators. For more information, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's E-D-U podcastnetwork.com. Now can I listen to it?